0: I'm Arie Schwartz, along with Eli Horowitz, and welcome to the WNBA Insider Show. Each week, we cover different topics important to the W. Using X's and O's, along with key stats, we bring honest and critical analysis to this league. Eli, earlier this week, you ran a new coaches poll, reaching out to the fans, because we're all about fan interaction and fan engagement, asking the fans what their thoughts were, or to quote you, which WNBA coach will make the most impact in year one? Looking at the coaches in first year with a new team, that's a good caveat because you got Bill Lambeer, who's not a first year coach, and
1: Dan Hugh. Um I was like, how do I even word that? Because like they're not first year coaches. I was like, I don't know. That took me a while to write that. <laughs> well, and also people will definitely get
0: stickler on you for that one. So <laughs> well done. I
1: know. Don't God forbid you make a typo on Twitter.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think the, the most interesting aspect of this was, well, I mean, let's just go break it down real quick. 43% voted Bill Ambier. You know, 28% voted Nikki. 16% voted Dan. 13% voted Katie Smith.
1: Are you shocked by that? I'll be honest, I was a little surprised. Um, I'm not shocked once I took a moment to step back. Um, I thought Nikki Collin would be first, but taking a step back, Bill Ambir is a three-time champion, and as much as he's faced criticism for the early flame-outs of New York in the playoffs, Nikki Collin has never coached a game as a head coach. Katie Smith has never coached a game as a head coach. And if you're comparing Lambeer and Hughes, Lambeer has more hardware. So I think that is probably about right, at least on, on the surface. What do you were you were you surprised?
0: I mean, all right. Uh, if if you listen to the show and if you know who I am, uh, you know I got my criticism of the Bill. I I think it's a tricky it. As much as you well worded it, it was still a tricky poll, and here's why: Bill Lambert is coming to the worst team in the league, team getting the first round, the first pick of the draft. So you know, obviously, he's gonna have. If you if you're judging it on the percentage of importance of of how much growth the team's gonna have, yeah, I, I can hear what you're saying, and he's definitely a valuable person for that. But then looking at Nikki, who's going into this team that, uh, you know, a lot of the people in the press have been high and mighty, and, and I will take a step back and play devil's advocate and compare it to Washington last year, getting Elena Deladon and ha- people having high hopes for them. So, so I kind of get why Bill and Nikki, depending on how, how you're viewing impact, you know. Um, but the thing that surprised me more so, and this, and I want to be very clear, I'm a big fan of Katie Smith. This is not a knock to her. I'm I'm a little bit, uh you know, only 3% difference between Dan Hughes and Katie Smith, and and there's a big gap between the top two coaches and the bottom two in this poll. That's honestly what stood out to me the most. You know, Dan Hughes coming to a, a, a semi-similar situation to Bill Lambier, but look at the positive feedback he got. Now, I, I ask you this, um, do you feel that that's just because Bill's been in the league more recently, or didn't really leave the league, if you
1: will. I think it goes back to your first thing. Are we looking, like, there's two ways to look at this, so let's clarify. One way to look at this is just, who do we think is the best coaches? Like, if we were ranking these guys one to four, irregardless of what team they're coaching, what would they be? The second way to look at it is kind of what you were alluding to, is who is going to have the most impact given the situation they're in. So let's I, I guess which which framework do you want me to operate in when I answer? You know what I mean? Cuz like like you said Bill Lambear with the first pick could have could like take that team from 12th place to 9th place and that would be more impact than Seattle if they went from like just moved up one slot. But that's different from saying who's a better coach. True.
0: And 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 I you know to say I don't think it's a tricky situation. I think we just need to decide. But I do want to bring into it, like I working in that same belief and that same mindset of like, if if Vegas moves up a couple seeds to ninth or whatever, uh, at the end of the next season, he made a huge growth. Let's not forget about Atlanta. I mean, whether or not Atlanta kind of fell off at the end of the season to lose their chances at the playoffs, Atlanta was one of the teams that that didn't make the playoffs last year.
1: Yeah, and I think. Um, you know, the th- the thing with Lambeer is I do think the team will get better, you know, very quickly because defense and rebounding keeps you in games. And as a coach myself, especially in the regular season, and this is a season that's going to be shorter, right, as far as the amount of rest you have in between games. Um, a lot of teams are going to have three, four games in a week. And so what happens is People get tired, injuries happen, and so the things that Lambert emphasizes I think allows you to steal games where you run into a team that's maybe tired or they've played back-to-backs, and if you're defending and rebounding, you have a chance. So I feel like they will just be a lot tougher of a team right away. Nikki Collin, on the other hand, we've all spoken very, very highly of her, and I think part of that is because of the culture she's coming from in Connecticut. But I want to ask you there is a lot of personalities on this team. You have Angel McCattery coming back. You have Renee Montgomery who's a new face. You know, you have Clarendon who's kind of came into a different role last year. Then you have Tiffany Hayes who had a breakout year and probably feels like this should be her team as far as scoring the ball.
0: Don't hey do um, not forget about someone I'm hyped on and runner up for rookie of the year, Brittany Sykes
1: who's Bernie Sykes, exactly. Not a player to just be a pushover. And she's going to want her shots, not to mention Breland. So my question to you is, as someone who's kind of spoken with Nikki and really followed Connecticut, is this going to be the cakewalk people are making it out to be?
0: No, no. to be clear, I, I haven't interviewed Nikki about this, and I haven't, like, I, I've spoken to her, you know, Nice little friendly messages and, and a few questions here and there. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. I mean, I think anybody who thinks they're they're gonna they're gonna be going into their first year as a head coach in in such a competitive professional sports league is going to be a cakewalk. I think. Okay, let's put it this way: she has a lot less work to do than Bill. So, granted, she you know Bill has to, Bill doesn't have to spend his time uh, you know trying to figure out his coaching style as far as a head coach and how he's going to handle personalities on the team. He's been doing that for years and years and years since the, the league's inception, essentially. Um, so in the in the times where where Nikki might be spending some time kind of fortifying and laying the groundwork of who she is as a head coach and the mentality that this team has moving forward, I think it's not fair to like claim that that's going to be a huge hit on the team because – I don't want to say that they can they can have that, that piece kind of taken away, but the skill set is that much higher than of the Vegas team in Atlanta. Do I think it's going to be a cakewalk? No. I think Nikki is going to have to go there, and I'm not going to say she has to be good cop or bad cop. I think she has to lay down what the rules of this team are going to be. And when I say rules, I, I honestly I mean more mindset. And is it what we've heard from the teams that have been successful in the league? You know? Is it about the team first? I'll, I'll reference Minnesota Lynx having a bench player as their highest paid player last year. Yes, that's a team that has multiple MVPs on it, not taking MVP-style money so that this team can stay together. Is that going to be the mindset that the Stars like? Their bench
1: player was the highest paid player?
0: Yeah. Gia.
1: Gia Perkins.
0: Okay. gia that, that has to do with how long she's been in the league, right? It has to do with how long she's been in the league. But keep in mind, like there was—I'm not looking at the the list in front of me right now—but there was a, a large gap between the starters and Gio. Interesting. And but to yeah. me, that's kind like it's those little things, and it's you know, uh, you know, not every team is going to have a Maya Moore who has, uh, you know, a Nike deal or, uh, you know, Rebecca Brunson who's starting her own, uh, you know, her own, her 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 own Belgian waffle shop. You're not, not every team is going to have the ability for their starting five to say that. And I don't think that every team needs to do that. What I will say is she needs to take a a page out of what her team did last year in Connecticut, which is it was a selfless team. It was all about the bigger picture and making that jump. And now, as much as people can say that Angel McCautry might have some attitude, and and there is something to be said about that, what I want to jump back at is the maturity that, that I think you get when you take that time off. And, I, and I'm taking that from my own personal experiences in life, and I'm taking that from other players that I've spoken to. Um, and, I'll, and I'll even reference this without even speaking to her, but look at Elena Deldon, which has gotten a lot of press. When she took her time off from playing, and then you get back into it, you have a new focus and a new understanding because you were able to kind of get out of the clout of the game and of the, the talking heads of the game. This team is going to have a leader that's going to be more selfless than Angel McCautry than a lot of people are willing to give her credit for. And if that's the case, then I think that uh, our 43 to 28% is going to be way off, and Nikki's jumping up to a full
1: cakewalk and taking the whole thing. I'm not saying, like, I, I don't mean that Angel McCautry would be difficult. What I'm just saying is that it's easier said than done to be a head coach. Um, you know, I, I again, not comparing to the pros, but I've been a high school head coach and this past year was a college assistant and the roles are just so, so different. And obviously she worked very closely with, with Kurt. And I'm sure she just, just my sense of, of who Kurt Miller is and the culture they have. I'm sure she got to play a big role as far as game planning and on-court coaching, they, they seem like a, an, an organization that values that kind of synergy and including everybody. So I've no doubt in my mind she's prepared to do the job. I just think at the end of the day, at least from my vantage point, the assistant coaches are typically the ones the players go to to vent and, 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 and to establish more of a relationship with, whereas the head coach is that person that has to hold people accountable at all costs and kind of be okay being that one at the top, and you know, they say it's lonely at the top sometimes. Now, I can't speak directly for what the dynamics were in Connecticut, I'm not in that locker room, but I'm just saying that the difference of a head coach and assistant coach is very different, so I can understand why someone like Bill, who's been there, done that, and has three rings, is pulling way ahead of someone who's never coached um, a game as a head coach in the WMB.
0: Well, and I want to get into that, and and this is a topic that you know maybe it's not so popular, and and I'll I'll tread lightly and I'll be as respectful as I can, and I mean no disrespect. Bill won some rings. Bill's done a lot of great stuff, but the league has shifted from there. And as much as I have confidence in him, and I, I 100% agree with with a lot of analysis and analysts' take on he will be able to shift the culture of this team and he'll put a new face to it. And he's, and a lot of people are saying he's reinvigorated, um, working for this team, but there has to be something said for just like, you know, at a certain time, like we talked about with Diana Taurasi at a certain time, her best years are behind us behind her. And I'm not saying Bill's best years are behind him, but he did win three rings. And, and you know something has to be said. Nikki's coming into it with a fresh new hot take.
1: So are you? I mean, just dive into that a little bit. Are you? Are you saying the game is kind of passed Lambeer by, or that his the style that worked when he won wouldn't necessarily work in two thousand eighteen? And I think you're fair to ask those questions. So let's, yeah, like you said, I feel like the cat's out of the bag. So. What do you you mean by that?
0: The latter. And we to what you also said earlier, and he's going to keep teams in it. But I'm not asking whether or not he can be a coach that can keep teams in it. I'm asking, and, and this is the question I'm asking that in my mind I have somewhat of an answer to, can he bring a team to that next level? And recent history has said no. And so I expand on that question, and I ask you and I ask everyone listening to ask themselves, does his coaching style give them the opportunity to get close but not the opportunity or not as legitimate of an opportunity to win championships as, let's say, it did years ago? And I'm talking strictly coaching style. I'm not going to get into, you know, oh, he had such a a stacked roster back then and this, this, and that. I just think as far as his coaching style, he's a solid coach and he can keep his teams in there and they're going to, you know, be, again, his team was the number three team last year. And, and in the pa- they have been a top four team in the past, what, four years as far as r- uh, uh, r- record when they're going into the playoffs. So, like, a lot can be said about me being a complete idiot and wrong. And I'm here to hear it. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that, like, his
1: style well, can be slightly outdated? Look, I mean, I think we've seen it on the uh, – let me put it this way. On the men's side, in the NBA, the style has very, very distinctly changed. As far as a lot more small ball, basically, if you're a four in the NBA, you need to be a three point shooter, and now even some fives, a lot of centers are, you know, spacing the floor, and you almost rarely have two traditional bigs on the court. Now, I don't think the WNBA is quite caught up. I still think you can play a Fowles and a Brunson, right, which are two bigs. You can play, um, you know. whatever it might be, Miesemann and, and Crystal Thomas, though she can space, so that, that's probably not the best again, example, but you get my point. Um, you still see teams playing traditional bigs. Camille Little and Brittany Griner, that's a better, better example. So I don't think it's quite caught up to the men's game, but I think it's trending in that direction, right? There's a reason Cheryl Reeve felt it was so important to have Rebecca Brunson be able to stretch her game. There's a reason LA has been so good, because Candace Parker is a big that can play like a guard, right? There's a reason Connecticut did well last year where you had John Quill Jones who could step out and hit the three. You had Alyssa Thomas who can put the ball on the floor. Um, So I think the women's game is heading in that direction. And so I guess when I think has the game passed Bill Lambier by is that he seems – And again, this is not speculation. He has said on the record, for example, Asia Wilson is a four. She needs a big center next to her. And in New York, Tina Charles always, pretty much always played the four, right? He'd always have other centers around her. And that worked and that got him three titles. What I question is, will that work in 2018? Or is it close-minded to not think Asia Wilson could play the five or Tina Charles could play the five? Of course you can't play those bigs at the five, the whole game. But I do think just like Brunson need to learn to shoot the three to just play two bigs that can't shoot from the perimeter makes it very difficult offensively. Now you're going to defend and rebound like we've said, so you can still win a lot of games and keep it close but I tend to agree with you. I don't know if you can win a title in 2018 if you're playing two traditional bigs the entire game. I mean, even Phoenix starting to run into some problems, right? Where it was an issue with Camille Little out there not being able to really be a threat when they double-teamed Brittany Griner. So I think it's a fair question. I don't want to harp on it too long, so we're just going to
0: move on. Um, Dan Hughes. With initial thoughts. I know you know we haven't we don't know what he's gonna do to this team. Um, and we've seen a few moves, and we we've seen him kind of in our in both of our opinions. We've talked about this. They've definitely made their bench better. Um, I'm huge on Natasha Howard, and I think she could arguably get in there and play some with Stewie, and that could be a really interesting lineup as them as the two bigs. Kind of talking about more flexible players at the big. What do you see in the future for this team? Because he got 16. Honestly, uh, I thought he was going to get a little bit closer, a little bit more akin to Bill, considering the roster he's I coming mean, into. this
1: is another similar to Lambeer. I mean, he he's he's won at a high level in the past. Now, he doesn't have the accolades. Lambeer has three championships. Um, Dan Hughes, correct me if I'm wrong, but has not won a title. Um you know, he, he, he had all those San Antonio teams. They definitely went pretty far. Um, in 2008, they did go to the finals and lost. Um, but, you know, his last years in San Antonio, they were 8-26 and 26 and 7-27. and 27, And his career record as a coach is 237 and 287. So without giving too much of a hot take either way, I mean, he has lost more games than he's won. Um And I think that's just the facts. That's not any opinion. Um, Now, he does have a lot of talent, right? Jewel Lloyd, Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird. Um, I think the issue there is like this is a team that has enough talent to make the playoffs as they did last year, but their defense was not good. And so I think what you have to ask is can he really be a game changer? Can he take this team that is a 6-7-8 seed type of team and make them a contender? And that's where I just – I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, is he really going to bring something new and modern that's going to kind of unlock what they have? You know, or is he going to kind of play it safe and go back to what he's always done? Um, You know, time will tell. Like you said, he stepped away from the game last year. So, you know, maybe maybe he did learn. You know what I mean? Like, maybe – maybe he'll come back with a fresh perspective but again we've said before on the podcast like I'm just more a fan of seeing new people get opportunities so that's why I think both of us tend to be a little bit higher on a Nikki Collin because of what we think she can be versus kind of what we've seen in the past of some of the more veteran coaches
0: just to kind of finish up on Dan he did win you know some of his accolades, he was a two-time WNBA Coach of the Year, but again, that was in 2001 and 2007. It is important, I think, as far with them, to, uh, the Seattle Storm and Dan Hughes, to, to keep in mind the expectations that people had for this team going into last year. And in all honesty, I don't think it's a stretch to say how shocked uh, commentators and people paying attention to the league were to see how bad Seattle played. And just, and I mean that in the sense like, the, yeah, they didn't play that well, whatever. They were just, you know, n- at no point did I see them get the right footing to kind of catapult them to where a lot of people predict- pro- projected them to go. A lot of people before the season, I was not one of them. I was excited about them, but a lot of people were high and mighty on them, saying they were going to be the young team that really jumped forward. And what we ended up seeing was Connecticut was that team that did it. So... I think it's important that with them, yes, there, there's an obvious issue, but remember two years ago, they were like on the precipice of making that jump from being a team that has a couple of vets who have two young, great stars. Yeah.
1: But, but hear me out. Hear me out. To actually defend Seattle, but Seattle a little bit, okay, in 2015 was Jenny Busek's first season, they were 10 and 24. Then in her second season, they go 16-18. and They make the playoffs. They lose to Atlanta in the first round. But I think because they made the playoffs in her second year, suddenly there were these huge expectations. But when you really take a step back, they were 16-18. and That's an under 500 team. So I I do think expectations going into last year were a little too high. Yes, people expect them to make the playoffs, but this idea that they were going to be – like a contender, I think was a little misguided. So, yes, 15 and 19 for them last year was a little bit disappointing. I think they should have been better, but I do think there was a bit of some false expectations that probably cost her her job. Yeah, no,
0: I, I think it's a legitimate claim, but, I mean, just looking at overall record, I mean, they essentially were stood still from last year or from two years ago to this year, record-wise.
1: Yeah, no, I'm just saying that I think we have to be careful in the WNBA because eight teams make the playoffs, what can happen is we say, Oh, a team in the playoffs last year, they're supposed to be really good. I think we need to realize, like last year, Dallas and Seattle had losing records and made the playoffs. So I think we tend to inflate teams that made the playoffs. You got to really understand the teams that make those six, seven, eight seeds aren't necessarily great teams, right? And in most other leagues, you're not making the playoffs if you're 15 and 19, right?
0: Yeah. The last person on our list, Katie Smith, who who lost the voting, um and is honestly I I think out of out of everyone there, I wish the voting a vote that she would have easily won is definitely the person who went into the hardest position in my opinion. And w- would you agree with that as far as like overall position? Yeah,
1: cuz I mean like Dan and Bill at least have the history and the accolades and Nikki's coming into a really good situation and she's coming from a Connecticut team that has positive vibes. Whereas New York, like let's face it, like this has been an off season of turmoil. Like we're not ones to sugarcoat it. Like James Dolan tried to sell the team. So right away, it's like this team could have been moved this team, like, it was all up in the air, and then they don't sell, but they move the team out of Madison Square Garden into Westchester County. So I you almost feel bad for her because as a new coach, I feel like her whole offseason was kind of mired in all this front office um, shenanigans that really aren't her fault and are out of her control. And I think as a result in free agency, whether or not anyone will say it, like, I have to imagine, I'm curious your take, I have to imagine all that was going on probably affected their ability to attract free agents or even make certain trades.
0: Well, I mean, let's put it like this. As far as I know, nothing's been released as far as the official re-signing of Tina Charles. So, like, she's made it clear, as far as social media posts, appearances, and things like that, that she is returning to the Liberty, and that's where she wants to play. But they haven't even been able to sign the face of the franchise yet. So I think that says a lot. But more so, I 100% agree with that. I mean, imagine you're Katie Smith. You're handed this team that, you know, a, a month later it's announced that, uh, you know, the, the the owner wants to sell the team. Then you go through a couple months of limbo where no one really knows anything. Tell me how as Katie Smith, you're supposed to go and and preach the the atmosphere that these free agents are coming into the the facilities when they didn't even know where they were playing because it was clear part of the reason was the MSG moving out of MSG. So like I, to me, all you can do if you're Katie Smith and you want to like uh, kind of you know show what's the, why people should join your team. the only thing you can do is be like New York New York, it's a heck of a town and as as amazing as that is, that's not gonna just get players to go there. That will work on like Tina Charles, but that's about it. Um, most players aren't just gonna drop everything and say, we're coming to New York with all these insecurities or with all these, you know, non solid uh factors in in the team and in the administration. So for me it was really hard. And that's why, you know, I I've been critical and I'll continue to be critical of their offseason moves because they didn't do much. And to me, if you're gonna say, you know, a, a lot of teams made moves to get better over the offseason. That's often what you do. The only move that was really made was signing a new coach. So, by by my by my accord...
1: Now, they did lock up Tina Charles, though. I mean, they court her, right?
0: Yeah, but I don't think like... I, all right, fine, yeah. They court her. I don't think the the official contract has been signed. My understanding. I could be wrong. Um, in all honesty, I don't even think that that's that important of a detail. To me, the the end of the day is... I look at the biggest acquisition that New York Liberty made this offseason was removing a coach who couldn't help couldn't get them to the to the gate of the finals, or couldn't get them on the court for the finals, and putting in a new coach and hoping, you know, that this coach can do something the last coach couldn't.
1: Yeah, and and you know what, maybe she can, but I, I would agree with you, at least for now, it's proceed with caution with them because and my big thing with them, um, and again, it's not all Katie Smith's fault. Um, she got dealt you know, some, some circumstance out of her controls. But it's not just the fact that they didn't make upgrades to the roster. It's just so many other teams did make moves. And so it's just hard for me to envision them being able to stay in third place when other teams, for one, other teams added players. Second, a lot of players didn't play last year who are impact players. Angel McCautry you know, Shane Agumukwe. I mean, so I, I just see other teams moving up, and then they didn't add, and like you said, they're going to have a first-year coach, and and she may turn out to be, you know, one of the elite coaches in this game, but I still think for any first-year coach, whether it be her or Nikki Collins, there's going to be a learning curve. So that's why I've been saying I think New York, at least for next season, is going to take a step back and is actually going to have to fight just to make the playoffs, in my mind.
0: I, and I don't think that's a hot take. I mean, I, I think it's interesting because if we look at last year's um, last year's top teams, right? It was Minnesota, LA, then New York, then Connecticut. Okay, and out of all of those, and and Connecticut's the only one that kind of worked their way up there. And you kind of often people, I don't think, and myself included, give the proper respect to the New York Liberty because I just think about it in any other sport or with any other team that consistently is a perennial, uh, you know, top quarter of the league or top five of the league team, is making the playoffs. Th- like, that's the struggle that you want to have to a certain extent, right? That you have a team that is perennially making the playoffs, but at a certain point, you know, kind of like the, let's say the Bengals uh, for NFL fans. A team that's making the playoffs but can't make a win, so eventually at some point you got to pull the trigger, and a lot of people talked about that. Um, and it ends up happening. So I think for New York, they were kind of in an interesting position where they were a top team that had a coach that in my opinion was on the hot seat.
1: Yeah and and I mean, look, there's only I think fortunate for all these coaches, you know they're going into situations that have potential, right? Uh, Seattle, we've talked about the talent that's there. New York, while we don't love it, they still have Tina Charles and it's a team that finished third place. Um, Nikki, we know all the talent there. And then even Vegas, like, yes, that's a rebuild. It's going to take a couple of years, but you have the first pick in Wilson. You have Kayla McBride. And if they get back in that draft next year and add like an Asia Durr, I mean, they should be pretty set. So I think the good thing is we'll be able to tell which of these coaches are really delivering because I think it's not like an Indiana or even a Chicago where it's, man, they really got to do a lot of roster stuff to even judge the coaching. You know what I mean? Like I think we'll be able to tell, like, especially I look at like a Dan Hughes in Seattle, man, like we should be able to tell within one season kind of like, is this working out?
0: Well, folks, that's it for this episode. I'm Aria Schwartz along with Eli Horowitz, and it's been the W. NBA Insider Show. Again, we use X's and O's along with key stats and we bring honest, critical analysis. Tune in next week.